you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to John chapter 11. You'll also see the scripture reading this morning in the order of service. As much as Justin tried to suggest shorter passage, I just couldn't break it. I just couldn't, I had to do justice to the integrity of the text. And so, we're going to read from John chapter 11 verse 1 to verse 46. It takes four and a half minutes. Uh, I did time it out. But even the reading of God's word, and perhaps especially the reading of God's word, is worship. And so let's lock in on this. Let's, let's focus on this text. Uh, it's a great, great account of the mercy of God. God's word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he falls asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe him. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming... She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to weep to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, 
He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of this blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out. His hands and feet bound him with linen wraps, strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with him and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. We'll conclude our reading of God's word there. Let's go to God's throne, his presence, and ask his help as we open this text and study it. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we are your people. And you've given your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and let us see glorious things out of your law, out of your word. We ask for your help in that endeavor this morning. And we ask it in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I used to be a numbers man, uh, trained as a CPA initially, but I've come to be a words man. I love the English language. There always exists exactly the right word, I believe, to communicate what you're saying. You can, you can, if you find that word, it will exactly get across the point you're looking to get across. You can also do things like what we're going to see in our passage this morning. And maybe you've done this. Have you ever made a statement, but in the form of a question? The, the, the sentence you put out ends with a question mark, but really it's a statement. Uh, and in honor of Mother's Day, I've selected a couple of examples that every mother has used. Uh, perhaps some fathers too. Uh, the first one is, what were you thinking? And roughly translated, it means, you dope, you weren't thinking at all. It's not a question you're looking for an answer to. What were you thinking? Uh, Second one, Dr. Phil has popularized it. How's that working for you? You're not really looking for an answer. It's an acknowledgement that, uh, really of a statement. Uh, In the old saying, he who continues to use the same methods and expect different results, that's what we define as insanity. And so there's that Dr. Phil one. Another one, I'm sure if you're a mother, or if you ever had a mother, you've heard this one. Didn't I tell you to clean your room? And it's not, you know, you're not looking for a yes or a no. It's a statement that's being made. Of course I told you to clean your room. You didn't do it. Well, our passage does that this morning. And I believe a question that really makes a statement is the very core of our text this morning. If you look at verse 40, Jesus asks a question. I've got to find it here in my test. Did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? It's a question. But Jesus is not unsure of what he said. He's not trying to remember. Did I say that to them or not? 
He's saying, no, I told you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And we'll unpack that this morning. Some context for our passage this morning is helpful. John's purpose in this gospel was stated in chapter 20. He said, Jesus did many more things that I didn't actually record and write down. But the ones I did record, the ones I did write down, were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you would have life through his name. So John's purpose in this gospel is all about believing that Jesus is the Christ, and that that belief bringing life. Very interesting. This miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is only recorded in John's gospel. I mean, if I were an apostle... Or if I had a pen in Jesus' day, I'm writing down this miracle. Only John did. But it's also interesting to note the place that John 11 takes in John's Gospel. One, chapters 1 through 11 cover the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. In fact, they go back to... Well, no, actually, John just covers those three years. 11 chapters for three years. Then beginning with chapter 12, he gives a detailed account of the next 10 days or so that ends in Jesus' crucifixion. So, right at chapter 12, the whole story slows way down. John gets very detailed. And so this chapter, 11, has a key place in John's Gospel of communicating the purpose of his Gospel, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you'd have life, real life, satisfying life, through his name. And so I'll put this out, is the main thesis of this passage. Jesus says to his people, If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Let me personalize it. Jesus says to us, If you believe, you will see the glory of God. I think there's four points. We're going to focus on verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. I'm going to preach the whole 46 verses. The reason I didn't break the text is because we're going to reference some of those verses that really support the, what we see in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. It comes down to four points. Number one, God does everything he does for his own glory. Remember the main thesis. If you believe, you'll see God's glory. Well, the first thing we see, and we see it in verse 4, if God does everything he does for his own glory. In verse 5, we're going to see that God does everything that he does in love for us. And in God's perfection and holiness, those two never conflict. God's glory and his love for us never conflict. But those are how, that's how God acts. Verse 6, we're going to see God often waits to send deliverance. We don't always get what we pray for, even good requests. Even if we're praying for spiritual growth, we don't get it instantaneously. God often waits and bring in the deliverance we seek. But lastly, God's deliverance always comes at the best possible time, and in the best possible way. And if we will believe this, we will see the glory of God. Well, let's read verse 4. This is John 11. I'll just read verse 4. We'll, we'll kind of go just verse by verse through this passage, because it really, the outline lays itself out. Verse 4 says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And what we've got to understand about verse 4, it really, verse 4 is Jesus' statement in response to the messengers that Mary and Martha had sent to Jesus in verse 3. If you read verse 3, um, let's see. So the sisters sent to him, Mary and Martha, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And so Jesus is responding to those messengers that Mary and Martha, remember they have a funeral, <laughs> 
they have a dead brother at home. And so Jesus is responding to those messengers, telling them to go back to Mary and Martha and say, this sickness is not to death, but it's for the glory of God. And we'll, under, we'll, we'll see the importance of that as we go through the passage. A couple of things we want to we uh, focus on in this passage. First of all, the, the, the meaning, the, 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 the thought that's being, being presented to us is carried by the prepositions. That's why I say I love the English language. A preposition, a but or a for or an also, can carry the whole thought of the verse, and it really does. If you look in verse 4, you'll see, it says, This illness does not lead to death. Now think, if I, if I go from here to Greenville, that means the end of my journey is Greenville. But what Jesus is saying, this sickness, the end of this journey of Lazarus' sickness, is not Greenville slash death, but it is for, literally for the sake of, the glory of God. Now I don't know what Mary and Martha would have heard when that message came back to them, but we will see that as, as we look at that. But Jesus is saying, you don't understand my purpose here. You don't understand what I'm doing here. The end of this story is not the death of your brother. The end of this story is the glory of God. Something we also see. If we, if we left it there, we'd kind of be like the Jews of the Old Testament who didn't have Jesus Christ, who didn't have the glory of God lived out in front of them. And that's what the verse says. This illness is not to death, it is for the glory of God. And how does the glory of God come about? So that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. God's glory is best accomplished in glorifying Christ. See, what would we know about the Christian faith if we didn't have the New Testament? Well, we know the law, we know the Psalms, we know David's deliverance, we know the fall of Jerusalem, we know... Uh, the, the waiting as the Jewish people waited for deliverance but we wouldn't know about the birth of Jesus that a virgin conceived a baby we wouldn't know that that baby grew up perfectly obeyed its parents every Mother's Day was a happy Mother's Day in Jesus' home because Jesus never had Mary never had to scold Jesus Mary had a lot of questions about Jesus but never had to scold him we wouldn't know about Jesus cleansing the temple and his passion for the holiness of God. We wouldn't know about the miracles. We wouldn't know Jesus' power. We wouldn't have Jesus' instruction. We wouldn't know about Jesus' crucifixion, His death, His resurrection. We wouldn't have Paul and Peter and James and John's epistles and all that expounding to us, explaining to us how glorious Jesus Christ is. So when we talk about the glory of God, it can be kind of abstract. And to a degree, it was abstract. The Old Testament saints, David, Jeremiah, Moses, they didn't have the revelation of Jesus Christ that we have, which means they didn't see God's glory. They didn't have it painted in vivid color in front of them like we do. But what what Jesus is saying here, if you want to glorify God, glorify me. For I am the very Son of God. As we see, as we look at the table this morning, we're looking upon the glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's a great celebration. It's why we do it. Because this glorifies God through glorifying Christ. 
All that God does, he does for his own glory. I like, I like the way B.B. Warfield said it. Listen carefully to this quote. It's not too long. He said this, The glory of Christ's incarnation being born to this earth is that it presents to us not a humanized God or a deified man, but a true God-man. One who is all that God is, and at the same time is all that man is. And catch this phrase. This is the meat. One on whose almighty arm we can rest. And to whose, to whose human sympathy we can appeal. In Jesus Christ, we don't see just God all-powerful and almighty. Though we do see that. We also see God in His tenderness. His love, His patience, His compassion. The passage says Jesus wept. Jesus groaned in his spirit. I like the word groaned. Um, other translations, it really give the sense of Jesus' compassion for the people. Not for the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was fine. Don't worry about Lazarus. He was worried about the living. But we have this picture in Jesus Christ of God Almighty who can raise a man from the dead and God Almighty who can comfort the grieving who can carry along the sorrowing, who has glory to show to these people. God does everything He does for His own glory, but God also does everything He does in love for us. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Uh, I don't... There's only one translation. This, I think the, the, the force, the, the, the weight... The glory of this verse gets lost in translation. When it says Jesus loved Mary and Martha, that almost sounds like a historical statement. Just a fact that John's throwing out there. It's just, okay, he loved them. But literally, if I were to read this in the literal, the Greek language, it would read, now Jesus was actively loving Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And that's important because of what we're going to see in the next verse. Because... He finds us out and he stays two more days. So what we're seeing, the passage is telling us that Jesus was loving them by not rushing over, by not healing Lazarus out of his sickness. He was loving them actively. It's, 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 it's in the imperfect tense. And I, because I've studied Greek, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to put up. I'm going to celebrate my tiny knowledge of Greek. It's in the imperfect tense, and that's a continuous action in the past. He was loving them at that moment. By not going, he was loving them. And that's John's purpose. Because remember his purpose, he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is an act of love. It's not just a historical statement of the, of the past. Also, back to verse 3, I think, and this is a little bit of an aside, a little bit of a, a rabbit trail I'm going to follow here, very brief. Look at what it says in verse 3. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I think what we have here is a great pattern for prayer. Uh, just recently I was at the hospital with somebody who was sick and I was able to pray for him. God, this is one whom you love. And he's sick. And I'm lifting this person up before you. You love this person, God. And if that sounds like we're twisting God's arm, you're right. That's exactly what we're doing. Because God cannot act out of character with his nature, his person. And those whom he loves, he will love perfectly. He will love completely. 
He will love passionately. And so I think that's a great pattern for prayer. If you have somebody that you need to pray over, God, this is one whom you love. You died for this one. If they're a believer, you can pray that. And what more could God do other than die for us? How could He rise again? And, and, and sit on the Father's right hand and intercede? What more could He do? And so we can pray, God, this is one whom you love. Love on them. Carry them along through this, whatever the circumstance may be. But I think what we also have here is a contrast. The, verse, the word in verse 3, this is the one whom you love, and you maybe have heard this before, and, and, and too much can be made of this, I think. But that word there is, Lord, this is the one, Lazarus is the one whom you phileo. This is the one who you have a, 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 a tender relationship with. This is your companion. This is the one whom you, uh, you, you're really intimately related with this person. Jesus, Jesus you've got to understand, Mary and Martha's home, Lazarus' home, was Jesus' home base of operations. Bethany was, Jesus was in and out of Bethany all through the end of his ministry. This is, this is where he slept at night. Jesus didn't have where to lay his head. This is where he slept. This is, and so he, was, he had that intimate friendship, the phileo love. But when John says in verse 5, now Jesus was actively loving them, that is that perfect agape love. That is that love that lays down its life. That is the love, really, that only God can demonstrate perfectly. God, Jesus, John is saying that Jesus was agapeing Mary and Martha. And he was actively doing it. It wasn't just a statement of fact in the past. He was actively loving them. And I think the point that comes out of that is many times we fail to appreciate the depth of God's love for us. Oh yeah, God loves me. Christ died for me. I get that. He gave me his word, so he loves me. Um, he's on the right hand. He's interceding for me. That's everything the scripture tells me. Your God passionately loves you. And that's in an eternal sense. There's no time tense to that verb. Your God loves you perfectly. I don't want to make too much of it. But I think that's clearly in the passage. Mary and Martha understood Jesus' relationship, his companionship with Lazarus. But John, looking back in time, says, no, Jesus passionately loved this family. And he was doing it in this moment. Verse 6, what was that moment? This is the point, the third point we see. Often God waits to send deliverance. Let's read verse 6. So, when he, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he had been. This kind of gets lost in translation. If I were to read this literally, it would say, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, indeed, he remained two more days. Or, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, shockingly, he remained two more, two more days. He didn't rush to his friend's side. He waited where he was. And that's why verse 5 is so important. That verb tense. So I love the English language. Or Greek language in this case. He was actively loving them by waiting. And we'll see that as we unpack it. It's often like when we pray. When Jesus heard me pray for the sickness of that person in the hospital, he didn't heal him instantly. He waited. 
when you pray for the financial distress, for the loss of a job, for the potentially the divorce relation, divorce situation that's pending, for the loss of a a, 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 a companion to you, a relationship breaks up, short of marriage. When someone passes this life into the next, and we've all experienced that, Jesus waits. You pray, but Jesus waits. He doesn't rush to our aid. He doesn't immediately fix the problem in the way that we want. When Jesus heard, shockingly, he stayed. He didn't come to Bethany. He waited there. He stayed. One of the things, this, one of the reasons I had to read the whole text is because the way many different humans responded to Jesus waiting. And it's, I think the question is, there's three of them, we'll go through them, but the question I want to pose to you is, do you see yourself in any of what we're about to see, the human reaction to when God waits to bring deliverance? And I think, I think it pretty much runs the spectrum. Well, let's look at it. Number one, look in verse 16. So Thomas, so Jesus is waiting, Jesus explained, Lazarus is dead, I'm glad I didn't go. Verse 16, so Thomas, called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And, and you know, we have, the, we have the benefit of hindsight, and you just, you want to say to Thomas, Thomas, let's be silent for a moment. Let's, let's not talk right now, Thomas. You know, Thomas, and I, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight. I would have said something probably this stupid or stupider uh, if I were Thomas, but here's Thomas, let's go die with him. That wasn't Jesus' purpose at all. When Jesus says to you, wait, when he withholds deliverance, he's not looking for you to die. He doesn't do it for your death. But Thomas just completely missed the point. Just completely not on board. And isn't that us sometimes? Don't we not get it when Jesus doesn't rush to our aid? Don't we say, huh? All I've done for you, Jesus, I give one little request. And you say, wait, and nothing happens when I pray. And we, like, we're totally on a different page of the playbook than Jesus. Well, that was Thomas. Look at verse 32 with Mary. And again, I don't mean to criticize any of these people. I probably would have done worse. When Jesus, uh, let's see, uh, da, da, da. oh, verse, um, yeah, verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Here's Mary in the midst of her grief. You can, you, you, Hollywood helps us picture these things. You can imagine her sobbing, heaving with grief. If you'd been here, I know you could have saved him from this sickness. I know you could have. He never would have died. It's interesting, and I, I have to take this little aside. This passage kind of opened my eyes. We often think of Mary is the good one. Remember Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and being dutifully taught by him? And Martha's running around doing all the... And, and, and this probably has been preached on Mother's Day. Okay, Mom, you don't have to go crazy. Running around, scattered. And we, we think of Martha as the one who just wasn't quite where she should have been. She's the one who fell down. And Mary is the, the picture of virtue. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. But this passage presents Martha with a great confession of faith. I know you're the Christ, the one who came from God. 
And we see Mary, oh, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died, just completely off of the... And so what we see, and J.C. Ryle makes a great point of this, if, if we look at our lives, we'll have moments where we're strong, and we'll have moments where we're weak. And then we'll have things that we're, that we're weak at, and somebody else will be strong where we're weak, and somebody else will be weak where we're strong. And that's why it's a body of Christ. That's why your fellowship is important here at Grace. You're a body of Christ. You need to come together. Men, be there. You need to come together. And we see that relationship. It, just, it really just opened this thing up for me. And lastly, in verse 37, we see the people. Some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? And it says some of them didn't believe. Some of them ran and told the chief priest what had happened. Just completely missed it. I think in, this, in these three groups of people, individuals and groups of people, we see all of our reactions to when Jesus doesn't rush to our aid. Where are we? Which category are we? And, and at different times, we're going to be different places. Sometimes we're going to react godly. Sometimes we're going to do right. Sometimes we're going to fall down. So we see that God often waits to send deliverance. But lastly, we see that God's deliverance always comes at the best possible time in the best possible way. And when I say that, what's built into that statement is the understanding that often God's ways are not our ways. Often God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so while it sounds cliche and you've heard it a thousand times, be in God's word, Because God will tell you how He thinks. God will tell you what's important to Him. Be in God's Word. Because our thoughts are not His thoughts unless we make His thoughts to be our thoughts. And we react to this dynamic of waiting for deliverance. Make His thoughts your thoughts. Be in God's Word. Study it. Learn of Christ. Study your Gospels. See the glory of God in Christ. Be encouraged by it. Don't underappreciate the love God has for you. See it in Jesus. See how much He loves you. Study God. Pursue your God. But God's deliverance also comes in the best possible time, even though we're not on, often on the playbook. Now look at verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He said he's sleeping. The disciples, again, not quite up to speed there. Not a criticism of then. That would have been me. But Jesus says plainly, Lazarus had died. And look what he says here. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. And he's saying this to his disciples. These guys had been with him the better part of three years. And Jesus is saying, I'm glad I didn't rush to Lazarus so that you might believe. Remember what John's purpose in his gospel was? I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so John is extending to us in his gospel the same kindness that Jesus extended to him so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. But Jesus is about his purposes. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so he's, he's, he's wooing, he's aiding, he's comforting, he's wrapping his arms around his disciples whom he loves. But I'm glad for you I wasn't there. Look at verse 40. I have to find it here. All right. Jesus said to her, to Mary, 
Did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is the importance of verses 3 and 4. Jesus sent a message back to Mary and to Martha that this sickness is not unto death. It does not terminate in death. That is not the end destination. The end destination is the glory of God. And so Jesus is asking that question that really is the form of a statement. I told you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And surrounding this part of the text is Christ groaning over those who don't believe. He's groaning for people like you and me who lack the faith just to take Him at His word. And that hurts His heart because He knows it's pain in our lives when we don't believe, just believe what He said. Look at verse 37. But Jesus said, Uh, But some said of him, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then drop down to verse 41. I'll just combine these two. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is praying aloud. He's not praying for his own benefit. He's saying to his father, God, thank you for hearing me. Now Jesus knew that God always hears him. The point that Jesus is making here, I'm praying aloud, Father, so that all of these unbelievers, the scoffers, so all of these unbelievers have an opportunity to see the glory of God. And literally, I'm just going to put it out there. The hurt... The pain that God often brings into your life, it may be for your belief, it may be to encourage your heart, it may be so that somebody else can see the glory of God. Some unbeliever. Some person who maybe you've witnessed to, some person who you know better than to witness to. They don't want to hear it. Don't ever mention Jesus' name to me. Have you heard that phrase from someone you love? God may be working some circumstance in your life just so that some unbeliever can see the glory of God and possibly embrace Christ. Who knows what God's purposes are? But we know that God's love is perfect. You don't have to turn there, but if you're interested, it's Lamentations 3. Remember Jeremiah, we think it was Jeremiah who wrote this, but we're almost certain it was during the fall of Jerusalem. And you can imagine, imagine if America falls... Imagine how we'll pray then. Imagine what that might be like. How energized God's people might be to know their God if this country fell. Well, here's the weeping prophet praying for his country, waiting for God's deliverance. And let me read for you what his conclusion was. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bears this yoke in his youth. And that's not just a man. We have some young people here this morning. Maybe you're waiting on God for something. Maybe your life is the bottom has fallen out. What Jeremiah is saying is it's good that you wait and wait and wait on your God. See, God knows if he gave us everything that we need right up front, we'd go running off like happy little school children and we wouldn't pursue him. 
But in not giving us the very thing that we need, He's encouraging us to run after Him. To lay aside every weight that sets us off course. To pursue the knowledge of Him. Here's Jeremiah's conclusion. The Lord Himself is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What have we seen this morning? God does everything He does for His glory and out of love for us. He balances them perfectly. God often waits when we pray for the deliverance we need that we seek. But when God acts, it's with perfect timing and in a perfect way. So just a couple of questions in conclusion. Are you believing? I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer at some point in your past. That could be very beneficial. That could, that could be your moment of salvation. But that prayer is not what saves any man. What saves is, are you believing right now? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes me, he will never die. Do you believe this? Is Christ alone the reason you would get into heaven? Is Christ alone your sufficiency? Or is it your good works too? Or is it your knowledge of the Greek language? What's our hope? And if you are a believer, are you believing? Is your faith moving from the abstract, the glory of God, to the concrete, the glory of God that we see in Christ? Are you pursuing this Jesus to know Him as food for your soul and health to your bones? Is your your belief believing? Is it moving on? Which is another way of asking this final question. Are you seeing the glory of God demonstrated by Jesus Christ. Know Him. Chase after Him. Pursue Him. Love Him. Study Him. See how He related with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Know your Savior. And if you believe, we can know with our minds and reject in our heart. But if we know with our minds and believe in our hearts, You will see the glory of God. My friends, fellow believers, brothers and sisters, you may not see that glory till eternity. A lot of people who have suffered their whole life long, God delivers some in this life. God delivers all in the life to come. I've written these things that you may believe, and that believing you may have life through Jesus Christ's name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, certainly this is a full text. Certainly, Father, we desire to understand it better. Lord, may we see the glory of God personified in Christ. May we have that unyielding desire to pursue the knowledge of our God. Father, as we prepare for the table, we can see the glory of God in Christ the lovely who died for the unlovely, the perfect who died for the sinner, the God who died 
for humans. Open our eyes, Father. Help us to not underappreciate the passionate love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.